Hello, I'm Sean Finnegan, and you are listening to Restitutio, a podcast to get you thinking about biblical and historical Christianity, to inspire you to follow Christ, and to convict you to lead a consecrated life. Today's episode is Follow. According to Jesus, no one should call him Lord if he or she does not do what he says. In other words, Christ says he wants followers, not merely believers. Although hippie Jesus, one-and-done Jesus, American Jesus, prosperity Jesus, poverty Jesus, and part-time Jesus all vie for our attention, we encounter the real Jesus in the Gospels, which we have confidence in today because of the massive number of manuscripts that have survived from antiquity. Following Jesus has huge benefits as well, including eternal life, forgiveness of sins, life transformation, and ultimate meaning for your life. The reasons not to follow Jesus just pale in comparison. As a result, doesn't it make sense to take the next step to confess Jesus as Lord and begin following his teachings? I want to share really three main points, which is what it means to follow Jesus, reasons to follow Jesus, and reasons not to follow Jesus. But before we get into that, I want to talk about the two requirements of Christianity. One is believe the gospel. And the other is follow Jesus. And if you're going to follow Jesus, you're going to, you know, all those other things we think of, like love God, love your neighbor, he said to do that. So we'll get all those in there. Uh, But the gospel is simply summarized in three main things. One is that God is going to fix up this world. He is going to heal the world from its dysfunction, from its suffering, and its violence. And number two, that Jesus died for our sins so that we could be forgiven And enjoy that future world forever. And number three, that God raised him from the dead, proving that this Jesus is the Messiah and inaugurating a movement in his name, which is why we're all here today, because of the resurrection from the dead. First generation Christians said things like, if Jesus wasn't really raised from the dead, then we are of all people the most miserable and pathetic, and we're still in our sins, and what are we doing? So resurrection is really the the movement mover. It's the thing that gets it all started. And so I'm not going to focus on the gospel this morning. I want to focus on stage two, which is if you believe that gospel, if you believe that Jesus is coming back to fix up this world, to make everything wrong with it right, that he died for your sins and that God raised him from the dead so that we could all know without a doubt that he is the true Messiah. If you believe that, then the question is, what now? And that is, follow. Follow Jesus. And so I want to I be very clear on what it means to follow Jesus. And the first... Oh, that's not it. The first thing... That's hippie Jesus. We'll, we'll come back to that. I know you're... Now you're intrigued. Jesus in a tie-dyed tunic. You don't see that every day. We'll get there. The, fir- the first point I want to make is based on Luke chapter 6. Are you, are you there yet? Uh, Luke 6.46 is where I want to read from. Luke 6.46. And these are the words of Jesus. He says, why do you call me Lord, Lord? You know, it was, it was trendy even then to call him Lord. He said, why do you call me Lord, Lord, and do not do what I say? Isn't that, isn't that the most clear, simple definition of what it means to follow? If we're going to claim that Jesus is Lord... We have to do what he says, all right? 
we could, we could basically end this now and go home. I mean, that's really all there is to it. We're not going to, so stay seated, please. But uh, to follow Jesus means you do what he says. Everybody agree that that's a good working definition? And this is his own definition. He gives it to us. So we can either agree or disagree. But if you're going to follow him, that's what his, his standard is. Let's read it again. Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and do not do what I say? Everyone who comes to me and hears my words and acts on them, I will show you whom he is like. He is like a man building a house who dug deep and laid a foundation on the rock. And when a flood occurred, the torrent burst against that house and could not shake it because it had been well built. Verse 49. But the one who has heard and has not acted accordingly is like a man who built a house on the ground without any foundation. And the torrent burst against it and immediately it collapsed. And the ruin of that house was great. And so we have two beautiful, simple illustrations to tell us the possibilities. There are those who hear the words of Jesus, and according to verse 47, hears my words and acts on them, right? You hear what he says, and then you do it. That's the person who builds their house on a strong foundation. And even when the storms come, because they come, even when the storms come, the house stands fast. And then the person who hears what he says but just doesn't do it. They're like, well, that's nice. Maybe I have a little calligraphy plaque in the kitchen or something. You know, it's just something to decorate the house with but not to actually do. That's like the person who builds their whole house. But then when, when tough times come, when trouble comes, what happens? It falls. I got a garage like this that's not built on a good foundation. It leans like this much. And it worries me every year. Is it going to tip over this year? I gotta, I've been talking to Frank about that. But uh, he's going to help me fix it. But it's a scary thing if you don't have a good foundation, isn't it? Yeah. And so that's, that's Jesus' definition. If you're a Christ follower, you do what he says. Please turn to Matthew chapter 19. If you're a Christ follower, you do what he says. What I find is that for me and, and probably for a lot of you, I'm inclined to follow Jesus in the things that he agrees with me about. Okay? So, Jesus says certain things like, you know, love your neighbor as yourself. I got good neighbors. You know, they're, they're pretty easy. And, you know, we know he means even more than that. It's, it's, it's not too hard to be, to be loving, to be kind to people, right? And I'll, I'll just kind of like walk with Jesus for that part. But then when he says certain things, like forgive. No, he doesn't stop there. He says forgive, and if you don't forgive, my Father won't forgive you. Whoa. What? <laughs> Forgive with no qualifications, but you don't know what they did to me. Right? And so that's somebody who's walking parallel to Jesus. Just imagine it like this. Here's Jesus. Here's us. And we're walking along, and we're just walking next to him. And then he keeps going, and we just go this way at the forgiveness part. Right? And we're just kind of walking alongside him so long as he agrees with us. And then we take a left turn any time he says to do something that we disagree with. Now, the true follower of Jesus follows Jesus even when he says something that's hard for us to hear. Even when he says something that is countercultural. Because Jesus is a radical. If you look at him in his own context, you don't get arrested by the government and suffer capital punishment in that public way, arrested as the king of the Jews for just being a nice guy. I mean, he was a radical. Obviously, there's more to the story than that, but 
That's what was in their heads. We've got to get rid of this troublemaker. And so we need to follow Jesus. But here's the thing, one other thing. He, we're, we're always tempted to fashion a Jesus of our own desires. And that's where hippie Jesus comes in. Okay? Hippie Jesus is all about love. You just got to love. And, you know, if you want to smoke a little doobie on the side, that's okay. You know, if you want to get drunk on the side, that's fine. You want to sleep around, whatever, man. Just love. That's all that matters. That's hippie Jesus. He's got a guitar and everything. This is one and done Jesus. You believe him once, and then you're saved. You pray a prayer once, you get saved, and it's like a tattoo. A tattoo, you put it on once. You don't have to every week freshen it up with a little oil, right? Once a tattoo's on, it's on. And that's, that's tattoo Jesus. He's the kind of Jesus where it's like, well, yeah, I prayed that prayer once a long time ago, and then I never really thought about Christianity or Jesus ever again because I'm fine. That's one and done Jesus. Then there's the American Jesus. This is the Jesus that wears the American flag tunic and who thinks America, right or wrong, no matter what, we're committed to this country. Never mind the fact that Jesus was a Middle Eastern, non-American, transnational Jewish rabbi. Then there's prosperity Jesus. Prosperity Jesus has this glorious gilded crown on his head. And he has this nice collar. You see that collar on his tunic there? Sweet. Uh, and this is the Jesus who says, if you, give me, if you give me some of your money, I will make you filthy rich. You come to me and I will give you health, wealth, prosperity, whatever you want. You're going to have it. And he's got that million dollar smile. That's prosperity Jesus. Not to be outdone by homeless Jesus. Homeless Jesus is the Jesus on the park bench that says you have to give away all your money. Unless you're dirt poor, you can't be a true follower. Right? And prosperity Jesus is harder to find. I mean, you can find some like faith statements he makes in the, in the Gospels where you really just got to believe it. Ruth and I had this friend at the Atlanta Bible College that told us every day she told us that she had a, a private jet because she was trying to confess that. Because she wanted to get a private jet, so she believed if she told us she had one, that she would get... You remember her. Victor was there. Our friend from Cameroon in Africa. And uh, she... Uh, every day... And, I, and I, I, was, I was thinking to myself, like, okay, I know this is like a faith thing. She's trying to get a jet, whatever. Um, but at one point, I just asked her, I'm like, can I see the jet? Can I see it? I want to go for a ride in your private airplane. Come on. Uh, but she never got it, and um, that's the problem with prosperity Jesus. Homeless Jesus, you can find other scriptures, a lot of scriptures, actually, because he said to that rich young ruler, right, unless a cam it's easier for a rich man to enter the kingdom, or it's easier for a camel to enter the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of heaven, right? And so uh, you can find some scriptures to support this until you realize that first-generation Christians... Some of them were poor, some of them were rich, some of them were in different situations. And, the, and there is no command that says every single person has to sell everything they have in order to follow Jesus. But this is the trendy Occupy Jesus. 
Occupy Wall Street Jesus of uh, our time. And uh, let's see, who else do I have? Part-time Jesus. So this is, this is the Jesus mask. And you put it on Sunday morning. And you look like Christ. But then the rest of the week, you're doing your own thing. Right? So that's part-time Jesus. And then there's the real Jesus. And the real Jesus, they, you know, they found bones from the first century of Jews in Jerusalem. They know like how tall they were. The average height was about 5'1", about 110 pounds. Isn't that, isn't that something? This is 2,000 years ago. Peter uh, would have been Goliath back in that, those days. We, th- we think of him as Goliath even in our time. But, uh, and, uh, which means that Jesus probably didn't look like this. Okay? This is probably not what he looked like. In fact, this is a, a modern scientific reconstruction by popular mechanics of uh, computer-generated... Uh, measure, based on measurements of skulls and uh, studies on what the, the people looked like at that time. Of course, this is not Jesus, but this is, this is their best guess on what an average Israelite or Judean looked like in the first century. And it looks basically nothing like the Jesus that we stereotypically think of. And, uh, you know, his skin was probably tan and weathered. They didn't have sunblock. Or, I mean, they had turbans, but uh, they didn't have, like, our hats or anything. Um, and so this is, this is maybe a little closer to the real Jesus. But you know what? How do we know the real Jesus? It's from his words. It's from, it's from the scripture. That's how we know the real Jesus. This is a picture of the actual New Testament, the Greek New Testament. This is Codex Sinaiticus. It's a manuscript that was discovered in 1859 by Constantine von Tischendorf. Isn't that a sweet name? I had to practice that a little bit. Constantine von Tischendorf found this in 1859 in a monastery. I think it was St. Catherine's Monastery. But anyhow, this manuscript contains the entire New Testament. And you can see it's nothing, it's not written in English. And it's not written in King James English either. And uh, it's written in this funny language, this ancient Greek language. And this is actually the part from Mark where Jesus says, um, right here it says, He said, and then this is actually the word Jesus. See the I-C there? That's abbreviation for Jesus. Uh, to them, then it's the word devte here, which is follow, opiso, after, mu, me, okay, and piso, I will, um, I will make imas you, Geneste to become alis, alis fishers, and then anon here is an abbreviation for anthropon, which means of people, right? Follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. This is an actual Greek manuscript. Do you know how many Greek manuscripts we have? Let me let me just give you a comparison. Let me give you a little comparison. I, I share this in my apologetics class every year at the Atlanta Bible College, but I just thought it might be fun to show you because I feel like we are sitting on a gold mine and we don't even realize it. Look at, look at some of these other ancient documents. In the ballpark, we have Homer wrote the Iliad and the Odyssey around 850 B.C. People argue maybe it was 8th century or 9th century. Some people say 7th century, but a long time ago. And of his works, we have 643 copies. That's pretty good, huh? 
600, I mean, imagine that. 643 copies, copies of Homer have survived to this day. These are handwritten copies before the printing press. Then we have Herodotus, his history, we have eight copies. Thucydides' history, eight copies. Aristotle, we have five. Plato, Tetralogies, seven. Demosthenes, 200. Caesar's Gallic Wars, 10. Tacitus's Annals, 20. And the New Testament, 5,735. That's ridiculous. That's, it's like embarrassing how many we have of the New Testament. The, the, uh, the, two, the two things they look for for reliability is, number one, how many copies do you have? The more copies, the better, because you can compare them and root out mistakes and get closer to the original. And then the other thing they look for is the time span between the autograph, when it was originally written, and the extant copy, which is what we have in the museums around the world, the copy that actually survives. And if you have a long gap between when it was originally written and our earliest copy, that's bad. And if you have a short gap, that's good. But the thing about paper is it only lasts a little while. So it's very unusual to find a copy of anything. I mean, think about it, a piece of paper that's 2,000 years old. There just aren't too many of them. Um, and so for, for Homer, I don't have the information on it. But Herodotus, we have about a 1,300-year gap between when it was written and when we have our earliest copies. Thucydides, 1,300 years. Aristotle, 1485. Plato, 1247. Demosthenes, 1422, Caesar, 944, Tacitus, 1000. The New Testament, only 250 years for a complete copy of the New Testament, which is what I showed you a second ago. Codex Sinaiticus is a complete copy of the New Testament, written within 250 years of the actual New Testament that survives to this day. But it's even better than that. Are you ready? Ladies and gentlemen, P52. P52 has nothing to do with dropping bombs. It's a manuscript... I guess it's a B-52. P-52 is a manuscript that was found in a, um, a monastery or uh, some sort of garbage heap or something in Egypt. In Egypt, it never rains, apparently, so paper lasts. And so P-52 is the earliest scrap of paper on which we find the New Testament. This is a portion from John chapter 18. It's about the size of a credit card. And this dates to within 30 years of the estimated time of the writing of the Gospel of John. So we have bits and pieces of the New Testament going back to within 30 years of when it was originally written. Whereas for other ancient works, the best we have is 944 years for Caesar. So we have 5,735 Greek manuscripts of the New Testament dating to a full copies within 250 years, but even as early as 30 years. But it's even better than that. It's even better than that. Because Christianity from the beginning was evangelistic. And not everybody spoke this language, Greek. So they had to translate it. And so they started translating early. They have old Latin translations. They have ancient Armenian, Syriac, Coptic, all these ancient languages. And if we add those in, we get 24,000 copies of the New Testament that we have to this day that survived from antiquity. Just incredible. I mean, if you think about it, we actually have the words of Jesus. I know we take that for granted because we all have this, these great Bibles in the back and they're printed in English and everything else. But like, this is based on an ancient source. We actually have the words of Jesus. We have confidence 
in what the actual Bible says, that it is the words of Jesus. You actually have the words of Jesus in your lap. That this man spoke 2,000 years ago. So let's, let's take a look at... Did you go to Matthew 19? Like an hour ago? Let's take a look at some reasons to follow Jesus. I wanted to just start with what it means to follow Jesus. My definition for what it means to follow Jesus is simply do what he says. Can we say that together? Do what he says. All right. So that's all I wanted to get across other than the fact the Bible is awesome and it's really fascinating and interesting. And if you're a nerd like me, you enjoyed that. And if not, we'll move on. Eternal life. That's my first reason to follow Jesus. I have three reasons. Eternal life forgiveness, and transformation. These are, you know, there are probably 217 reasons to follow Jesus. I don't know. But those are, those are three, okay? So eternal life. Matthew 19, 27. The disciples, Peter said to Jesus, Behold, we have left everything and followed you. What then will there be for us? Isn't that a great question? I'm so glad Peter asked that question because, like, you're not supposed to ask that question. It's like, well, what am I going to get out of it, Right? And Peter says it to Jesus, like, look, we left everything. We're following you. What are we going to get out of it? I love that. And Jesus said to him, how dare you ask that question? No, he doesn't, he doesn't rebuke him. He answers the question. Verse 28, truly I say to you that you who have followed me in the regeneration, when the Son of Man will sit on his glorious throne, you also shall sit upon 12 thrones, judging the 12 tribes of Israel. So that's pretty sweet, right? You left everything, you follow me. I'm going to sit on a throne, is what Jesus says. I'm going to sit on this glorious throne, and you guys are going to get your own thrones. And you are going to judge. You're going to rule. Think of judges in the Old Testament. You're going to be an administrator of the age to come. But what about us? Next verse. And everyone, verse 29, and everyone who has left houses or brothers or sisters or father or mother or children or farms for my name's sake will receive many times as much and will inherit what? Eternal life. But many who are first will be last and the last will be first. We will inherit eternal life. So that's my number one reason to follow Jesus. If you follow Jesus, these are the words of Jesus. I just showed you that these words have reached us through thousands of manuscripts over thousands of years, and here they are today, and they say to us, if you follow him, you will have eternal life. I feel like that's enough, right? That would be enough of a reason. You know, if there was a pill, my goodness, these TV commercials with the pills, there's always like that list of side effects, right? It's like, take this pill and it might help with your anxiety. But, and then they have the guy with the low voice, like nausea, diarrhea, in some cases, death, you know. <laughs> if they had the eternal life pill, even if the side effects were it might lose family, might lose, you know, some friends that might make fun of you because you take this pill, you know, maybe you won't fit in at the, uh, the Halloween gala because you're not wearing a costume like everyone else, or what, you know, whatever the consequences of following Christ are, everyone would take it, right? And there it is. In a book, for 2,000 years, simple as day, follow me and I will give you eternal life. I really like that one. I, I can't stand death. Death has this sting to it. It's just not right. I would love to live in a world where there just 
wasn't death anymore. It just didn't happen anymore. And that's the world that we have to look forward to. All right, the reason number two is transformation. Let's, uh, or reason number two is forgiveness. Can you turn to Matthew 11, though? Just uh, back a few chapters. Forgiveness. Forgiveness. I have the verse up here on the board for forgiveness. This is Ephesians 1, 7 through 8. I'll just read it to you. It says, In Him we have redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of His grace, which He lavished on us. This is reason number two to follow Jesus. One was eternal life. Two is forgiveness. Forgiveness. In Him we have redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses. Redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses. If you're honest with yourself, you have made mistakes. You have sinned. You haven't lived up to His standards. We haven't even lived up to our own standards. Right? And so we need forgiveness. We need forgiveness. And that's part of following Jesus, is that you get forgiveness. Through His blood, we have forgiveness of our trespasses. I love that last part. According to the riches of His grace, which He lavished on us. It's not stingy. It's like, I'll forgive like ten sins. That's it. No, it's, it's lavish. Right? And so that's forgiveness. And then the third is transformation. This is from Matthew chapter 11. Are you there? Matthew eleven twenty-eight. 28. Some awesome scriptures this morning. Matthew eleven twenty-eight. Come to me. These are the words of Jesus. Come to me. All who are weary and heavy laden. You ever feel that way? You ever feel weary? Heavy laden? Some of us might feel weary from that wedding last night, (laughs) sitting here all jacked up on our Dunkin' Donuts and Starbucks, trying to make it through. Sometimes we feel a little weary and heavy laden. But this is bigger than that, right? And I will give you rest. Come to me and I will give you rest. Verse 29, take my yoke upon you, And learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. Would you like to find some soul rest? Rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy, and my burden is light. It's transformation. If you will take his yoke, if you will follow Jesus, take his yoke, he will give you rest for your soul. Okay, the first thing I was talking about was eternal life. That's not now. That's not now. It's not, I mean, just imagine a world if Christians never died. And everyone else would live and die, but not Christians, not followers of Christ. Do you think some people might... I mean, what kind of world would that be? You know, you think some people might, like, really jump on board for the wrong reasons? And so, this eternal life aspect doesn't begin until Jesus comes back, until the event we call the resurrection of the dead, right? So that's in the future. Eternal life is in the future. And then we have forgiveness. For a lot of us in this room, forgiveness is something that first began in the past. It's something that happened when you believed in that gospel, when you turned away from your old life and said, you know what, I'm going to follow. I'm going to follow. And at that moment, you have forgiveness. And forgiveness continues in the present, but it was something that happened in the past. But what about today? What about right now? What about transformation? And that's what this Matthew 11 is talking about. He says he's going to give us rest for our souls. He says his, his yoke is easy and his burden is light. But, you know, even beyond what Jesus says, I want to give to you the words 
of living people in the, in the, in the Facebook world. So I did a little survey, and I asked the question, what are your top reasons for following Jesus? And I got a lot of answers, and I selected three of those answers I want to share with you this morning. As to people who are testifying that Jesus is still alive, Jesus is still doing stuff, people's lives are still experiencing transformation. And so the first one here is from our own Matthew Elton. He says, I follow Jesus because lasting social change cannot happen until the naturally selfish heart of man changes. Jesus causes radical transformation of people's hearts as proven by millions of testimonies. Heart, heart change causes life change, which ultimately causes world change. Now that's an answer, huh? Holy cow. That's Matt Elton. Um, it, what he says here is a naturally selfish heart. He identifies the problem as being a naturally selfish heart. And what Matt, Matthew Elton testifies as a living, abiding voice, what he testifies is that in the present, he has experienced radical transformation. He himself has experienced radical transformation from a naturally selfish heart. And he, he believes that that little heart transformation in him is able to spread to others and able to contribute to world change. That's, that's pretty good. My next one comes from Len CCO. I follow him because I believe he is the Messiah and the one who has changed me more than anyone in my life transformed me into a whole man and showed me things about myself that I never knew were there. I follow him because he showed me all the possibilities in me and delivered me from depression, loneliness, and fears. Wow. Depression, loneliness, and fears. I follow him because he is more real than any other person I've known and showed me more compassion throughout my life than anyone has ever given me. I follow him because he raised my life from the dead and will do the same for me physically and all that I love one day. I follow him because there is no one that I've ever known who epitomizes all the colors of love, strength, and compassion and power like him. Basically, what Len's saying is two things. One, Jesus has helped him, right, with the loneliness, the fears, depression, Right? He's helped him through these things. But also, when he looks at Jesus, when we look at the Gospels and we see Jesus in action, we say to ourselves, that's awesome. That's awesome. We see his love, strength, compassion, and power. I mean, you don't find that combination in many people. Love and power. Compassion and strength. But in Jesus, we find them all together. And when you read about Jesus in the Gospels. It's incredible what he does. So that's Len Cicio. And then the third one is a friend of mine from Texas, Danny Andre Dixon, who says, the biblical record strikes me, this is the analytical type. So just like we had some sort of experiential, emotional types. Now this is the logical, you know, analytical type. The biblical record strikes me as being true. Its testimony of Jesus the Messiah seems accurate. 
And the resurrection occurred as evidenced by historical methodologies. I would not follow him if I thought the record were not true. Isn't that interesting? Danny's point here is, it's true, it really happened, so of course I'm going to follow him. Right? It's just like a logical deduction. God raised Jesus from the dead, ergo, I follow him. Right? And you can look into the, the case for the resurrection of Christ. Go to reasonablefaith.org and watch some debates on there. Christians debating atheists. And you'll see that the, the case we have for the historicity of the resurrection of Jesus is so good. It's so solid. And Danny has looked into that. And he said, you know, not even based on my own personal life transformation, which I, I'm sure he's had, and all these other things, he follows it because it's true, because it happened. And so for him, it makes sense to follow it. We're not going to mention that Jesus also gives purpose to the lost, hope to the despairing. We're not going to mention that he's so great, you know, that he confronted hypocrites and gave compassion to the needy and lived consistently without ever falling into temptation. We're not going to talk about that or the fact that Jesus loved his enemies enough to suffer for them, or that he's God's anointed Messiah, or any of that. I'm just sticking to the three. Eternal life, forgiveness, transformation. Reasons to follow Jesus. Now let's talk about some reasons not to follow Jesus. Okay? And I've got three for you. Too much commitment, don't want to be a Jesus freak, and I just don't believe it's true. I think those are three pretty good reasons. The first one here, too much commitment. This is, this is legitimate. This is a legitimate reason not to follow Jesus, if you think about it. Jesus says he wants all of it. He, he wants all of you. He doesn't, you know, he, he's, there, he even says you can't serve two masters, right? It's right in the Sermon on the Mount. I challenge you, if you're looking for a place to start reading the words of Jesus, Matthew chapter 5. That's where, that's an easy place to begin and that's one of his longest sermons where you can get straight words from Jesus. You read it yourself, and you measure yourself by that. See how you do. And, and if you're not lining up, then let's get on board. Let's, let's adjust, right? Adjust course. If, you, if we took a left turn and Jesus is like way up there in the distance, you know, now would be a good time to get back into following Jesus or to follow him for the first time. But too much commitment. People, people, I think, you know, that's, that's a good reason. You know, it's too much commitment. I don't want to do it. I, I want to be, be like the, the part-time Jesus. You know, just like maybe on Sunday wear the Jesus mask. But I want to do my own thing. You know, I'm young. I've got all this time left to live. Man, I hear that one a lot. Anybody else think that you hear that a lot? Yeah. Um, I want to show you Hunter Cronin. This is a, a high school student in Shenandoah, and three days ago, he was driving to school, to high school, at 7.45 in the morning, he lost control of his car, and he died. It's something that has just happened in our local area here, that, um, and I, I don't, I don't know, I don't know him, but the, the thing about it is, when I was, when I was reading about what happened, they said, this is the third or fourth one in 18 months. You know? And, you know, when you're young, it's so easy to think, I've got forever. Right? 
And when you're middle-aged, it's easy to think, I've got forever, right? But we don't have forever. We don't. And, and we don't know. You know, I mean, this is a real person who just died. And so I encourage you, if you're on the fence, look into it. Look into it. And if you've strayed, get back on track. You know what I mean? I'm not saying we're all going to die in a car accident. But my point is that life is fragile, and we don't know. So might as well make the, make the big choices when you have time to think about it. When you're in a crisis, that's not the best time to think anything through, is it? So I encourage you, think it through now. Jesus says that on the day of judgment, this is from Matthew chapter 7. Jesus says that there are going to be a lot of people that are going to come to him, and they're going to say, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name? Did we not cast out demons and in your name perform many miracles? Jesus says, this is incredible, Jesus says that on the day of judgment, people are going to say this to him. It's like the lines are already written. And he says, look, people are going to say this to me. They're going to call me Lord. They're going to call me Lord, and they're going to say even that they prophesied in my name, that in his name they cast out demons. I mean, these are like super people, right? I mean, these aren't just like run-of-the-mill, go to church once in a while. These are people that seem like they're really doing stuff for the Lord, right? And they even did miracles in his name, right? And Jesus is going to say to them, I will declare to you, I never knew you. Because they didn't do it. Because they did not do the will of his Father who was in heaven, right? And so this commitment thing is, is, is serious. Like, if you're going to jump in, you got to jump in all the way, and then you're committed, and you're like, I'm going to follow Christ, I'm going to read his words, I'm going to find out what he said, and I'm going to do them. Or you don't. But there's no, like, gray area in between as far as Jesus is concerned. He says the gray area people that say it but don't do it, he's going to say to them, I don't know who you are. I'm sorry, who are you? Now, that is scary, and I hope that never happens to any of us. But the words are there to help us so that in, in this moment, we could, we could make the right uh, decision. Uh, number two reason not to follow Jesus. I don't want to be a Jesus freak. I don't want to be a Bible thumper. I don't want to be a religious nut. What if my friends find out I'm going to church? I don't want to be lumped in with the fundamentalists or the right-wing conservatives. You know, I don't, I don't want to get this evangelical stigma or whatever, Right? Probably a lot of people think that, right? I just encourage you to read the words of Jesus. They, they, they are so hard to pin down. I don't care if you're a Democrat or a Republican. They are going to mess with your political views, the words of Jesus. They are going to mess with them. And Jesus is, is not to be judged by people who say they follow him and are nuts, Okay? Can we all agree with that? Crazy people, they need to just, you know, that's their own thing. Jesus, you read about what he says, and you decide based on what he says, should I follow him? How do I follow him? You judge it by him. Because there are all kinds of decoys out there. That's how we started, right? Hippie Jesus, prosperity Jesus, poverty Jesus, American Jesus. Part-time Jesus, you know, there are all these different ones. You go in the bookstore, you can find all these different books, but none of them is 2,000 years old and can give you his actual words like the Bible. 
You know what I mean? And so that's what our, our standard has to be for whether to follow Jesus. And then the third uh, reason not to follow Jesus is I just don't believe it's true. Well, look, if you don't believe it's true, look into it at least. Look into it. Just go to the Internet, type in debate and the word resurrection, and you'll find Ph.D. Christians against Ph.D. atheists arguing it, bringing out the best arguments, and figure it out. You know what I mean? Just like you would figure anything else out. You know, you've got to put the time in if you don't believe it's true. So, let's talk about taking the next step. We have to decide. We have to decide. Um, if we would read what he said and do it, could you just imagine, just imagine with me for a second, if you could read what the words of Jesus are, and if we could actually do it as a community, right? What would the world be like? What would the world be like? Jesus said things like, forgive others. He said, love God. Love your neighbor. Jesus said, love as I have loved. And then when he was dying, gasping for air, he said, forgive them, for they know not what they do. He said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. And then we see early on, Christians are doing the same thing. Like Stephen, when he's being stoned, he says, Lord, lay not this sin to their charge. Radical forgiveness. Radical love. Reaching out. I mean, look at Jesus. He reaches out to the leper. Nobody touches lepers. Jesus hugged the leper. He reaches out to the prostitute. He reaches out to the tax collector. He reaches out to the Pharisee. Right? And, and he calls people to himself. It's pretty cool. So I encourage you today, if you are interested in following Jesus and you haven't done it before, look into it. And then for the majority of us who have been following Jesus, let's follow Him closer. Right? You ever follow somebody and they're like way ahead? I heard stories about Hugh Knowlton in the airport from my wife when they were younger. That He was always way ahead and they were just kids trying to keep up with him. And he's trying to catch the plane and, you know. If, if, it's, if it's like that with you and Jesus, then speed up a little bit, okay? We want to follow Him closer. We want to follow Him closer. You know, maybe we're following Jesus in some areas and not in others. Well, let's read His words. I don't care if you've read the Bible all the way through once. We still need to be reading His words. You know what I mean? Because we forget. And then in other areas, it's so deceitful, we'll, we'll start to veer off course just a little bit, right? And then by the time we get all the way over here, we're way off base, Right? Just a little bit. But then we read the words of Jesus and it's like, oh, wow, I'm supposed to be over here. Wow. Right? So let's, as, as, as his followers, let's be true followers. Let's be the kind of people that he says, in the end, come, my faithful servant, enter into the joy of the Lord. Right? Let's be those kind of people. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we ask for your help in doing this. We can't do it on our own. We ask that you would Give us the strength to follow your Son, because in our own strength we're not capable. I pray for your help and your blessing this morning. Help us to, help us to read his words, your Son that you've provided as your means of salvation for us. Help us to follow his words, and help us to live this in sincerity and truth. In the name of Jesus Christ, amen. If you enjoyed what you heard here, why not give Restitutio a five-star rating in iTunes or Stitcher? 
Doing so will help others find this podcast and inspire them to love God, follow Christ, and seek truth wherever it leads. Thanks for listening, and check us out online at restitutio.org, where you can find an archive of all the podcasts, as well as a bunch of articles and links to other resources. And remember, the truth has nothing to fear.